Pastor Brother Josh lost his brother John on Friday night, so they're not with us this morning. They're on the road. Been texting with them this morning. They're almost to El Paso, so a long way to go. Although once they get to El Paso, I think they're almost halfway, but uh, they're going all the way to California for the funeral and be with the family. And uh, I'm just very thankful that he knew where he was going. He knew he was redeemed, that his sins were forgiven, and that he had an eternal home in heaven, and his faith has become sight. It's not just something to think about and dream about and wonder about and read about. He, he's walking those streets of gold this morning, and I'm happy to report he's cancer-free, and uh, God has healed him, not in the way that maybe we would have expected or wanted, but God is good, and we know that his plan is perfect. So be praying for Josh and for Anna and uh, for Jamie and Dolly Tanner, that's Josh's mom and dad, and uh, just that the Lord would continue to work in that family and encourage them and strengthen them during this difficult time. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that loves people, and uh, my wife and I and our family were on our way back from our trip, and we were delayed an extra day because of weather. Some of you may have seen those things on the, on the news with the bomb cyclone and all that. We got in the middle of that, but we were safe in a, in a house watching it out the window. And uh, so, but we were delayed a day coming home. So instead of being here and being able to be with the Tanners yesterday, we were driving yesterday, but thankful for technology with a few phone calls and texts and thankful for people ready to help. We had folks immediately moving to help take care of the children yesterday. So Josh and Ag could get some rest and pack and do the things that they need to do. We had folks praying for them. We had folks buying snacks for them at the grocery store so they'd have things to keep them ready on the trip and just one thing after another, people helping them with laundry and getting stuff ready to go. And that's the way a family is supposed to function, right? So thank you for being a part of that. And some of you uh, were praying. Some of you may not have known about it till now. I understand uh, we were traveling, so it wasn't time to call everybody and do everything, but just tried to Make sure that they were getting their needs met. That was the most important thing. And uh, so thank you for being a part of that and uh, being able to help. Be praying for them this week. Maybe drop them a, a note to let them know you're praying for them. We did purchase a card yesterday. We'll have it after the service if you'd like to sign that or uh, give something to them. My guess is, I know obviously they're out all this week. They may be out through next weekend, too. Their, you know, their plans are up in the air. Josh said yesterday, he said, oh, we, we're just not sure what we're doing. It's not, I said, Josh, this isn't a trip you can plan for. You just take this a day at a time and know that we're there to love you and encourage you. So be praying for them. And uh, if you try to call them or text me, don't hear back. Know that it's because their, their hands are full, their plates are full. But I know that they'd appreciate the encouragement knowing that you're there and loving them. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, ask him to bless the Tanner family and encourage them during this time. Father, we thank you. Even when the times are hard, we thank you for your love for us, for your goodness to us. We thank you for the confident hope that we have through Jesus Christ. That if our sins are forgiven, we know we have an eternal home in heaven. Or we just looked at the passage a couple weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians that we, we don't sorrow as those that don't have hope or because we do have hope. And I'm so thankful that this morning John's faith has become sight. So thankful that he's with you this morning. That his worship this morning will be far 
more exciting probably than ours because he can see you face to face. Lord, we thank you that even in our sin, you loved us and you sent Jesus to die for us. Lord, we thank you for the Tanner family and for the blessing that they are to us. Help us during this time to be a blessing to them, to help to hold up the arms of those that are weak, to comfort those who need comfort, to weep with those who weep. Lord, I pray that you would be with all the things that will take place this week in their lives, for the family and friends that come together. Lord, being that he was a highway patrolman, I know there will be many of his co-workers and peers that will be there at the funeral. And Lord, I know that the gospel will go forth. I pray that souls would come to Christ through the testimony of John and his wife and through the glorious message of the gospel that gives hope to all who will trust in it. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you today. I pray that you'd bless all that's done in our service. Be with those. We, we have many still away traveling through the spring break weekend here and some that are sick. Lord, we just pray that you would encourage each and every member of our church family. We love you. We thank you for the great, wonderful privilege it is to call you Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm a little bit out of it today as far as the schedule. I'm not out of it of what I want to preach today. i got a lot of time this week. But before we do that, i got a couple of special things we wanted to do. Shandy's going to help me with this. But we want to recognize Billy and Lisa today. Did you know it's their first anniversary today? One year of marriage. Shandy got some flowers for Lisa there. And we got a card for Billy. This couple is such a blessing to our church. They do so much. And this isn't their church anniversary. This is their anniversary, okay? So this is a special time. So we love you guys. And a little card to say thank you. And thank you for everything that you do. And Lisa, boy, they just, they, get it, they hold it together, don't they? And uh, hold us together. And they're a blessing to our children, blessing to our adults, really a blessing to everybody. So... Thank you very much. Happy anniversary. Congratulations on one year. And we just love them. And uh, yesterday I was looking through pictures. Do you like to look through your memories? I like to look through and think about what the Lord did. A year ago, yesterday, I was looking at the pictures from their rehearsal. And uh, we were with some of our good friends, the Hudsons. Pastor Brandon, he's been here before. He was here for our first anniversary. There, he's the pastor of our Sending Church. And uh, Shandy and I got to work with he and his wife in Indiana for about three and a half years. And uh, that was a special time to get to be there for Billy and Lisa at their special day. And uh, they may not remember any of that because they were focused on getting married and all those fun things, but just a special, special time. We'll dismiss our boys and girls out. And uh, even though Brother Josh and Sister Anna aren't here today, Brother Collard's got it under control, so he's ready for the kids. That's another thing I just love is like Josh and Anna had to be away because of what's going on with their family, but the body just fills in and takes care of all the needs. And I was talking with Josh, and yesterday he had everything under control as far as people to fill in for junior church. He's asked me to take his class tonight, so we'll continue our study tonight in real church and 
it's just great when you can have people in and out, and we miss those people for sure, but the other people come in and fill in the, in the gaps, and, and it's just a blessing. Well, thank you for praying for us while we were gone. We had a wonderful time and uh, got to attend church with my uh, wife's parents, my in-laws. This past Sunday had a wonderful time with them and just got to see lots and lots of family and play in lots and lots of snow and drive lots and lots of miles. So we left here uh, two weeks ago tomorrow, Monday afternoon, or Monday late morning, and drove up to Amarillo, spent the night there, and then we drove the next day on up to Colorado and got into about 5 o'clock at her parents' house and spent the night there. We had some kids get sick along the way. Seems like we can't take a trip without that happening. So had a few fevers and a lot of coughs and sniffles and things like that. But uh, we made it. And uh, hey, if you're going to be sick, being sick at grandma's house isn't the worst place to be sick. And so they had plenty of care and plenty of help. But it did slow down our plans a bit while we were there. And, but we still enjoyed playing and doing lots of things. And uh, we got to go up to Rocky Mountain National Park on Saturday uh, last week. And I made a video there. If you were here last Sunday, you got to see that video. And we, of course, went to church up there last Sunday and had a wonderful time. Was Pastor Clayton a blessing last Sunday? Good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. He, he's such an encouragement to me. And um, I enjoy every time I get to spend with him. He'll be back for our anniversary Sunday in a few weeks. That's coming up April 7th. We've got a lot of fun things coming up over the next few weeks. Today, originally, we were supposed to have the Everson family with us. Maybe you'd heard that announcement or seen that. And uh, their dates got crisscrossed. And so they'll be here next Sunday, not today. So if you came in today, I thought there was something. And Well, it'll be next Sunday. I was texting with him this week. I always follow up with people, you know, a few weeks before and then the week of to make sure if we have somebody scheduled that nothing's come up. And we were writing back and forth this week. I said, we're really looking forward to having you. Uh, we've got everything arranged and everything set up to go. And he said, he writes back, are you talking about this Sunday or next Sunday? I said, well, this Sunday. We've been talking about the 17th all along. And he goes, I, I'm, I'm preaching at another church this Sunday. I won't be there till next Sunday. I said, oh, okay. Well, that's no big deal. We'll just switch it around. So they'll be here next Sunday with us and... And uh, so that'll be good. But anyway, had a good week this past week as well as we got to spend some time with Shandy's grandparents on both sides. She still has all four of her grandparents. And uh, so we enjoyed being with them. So our children's great grandparents. And then got to see, I got a couple cousins that live up there. We saw them. And uh, let's see, that was mostly, most of the week, just running around, seeing family. Then we were supposed to leave Thursday morning to drive back. But we had a giant snowstorm on Wednesday, and so they had canceled Wednesday services at church and everything. There was a hundred-car pileup out on I-25 just north of us where we were, and uh, I always think about Simon Peter out driving the truck. He, he, he braves all that stuff. You pray for him during the week. He's an over-the-road truck driver, and so he's in all those kinds of places, all that kind of weather all the time. And we were safe in the house, and kids were outside making snowmen and doing stuff like that, and then come in when they'd get too cold. And so we hung out on Thursday and then left Friday and drove, came across I-70, went out to Abilene, Kansas, and saw my grandmother, 
we were just behind Joe and his family because they had been there the day before, I think, just about. Or you left Wednesday morning to come back? Okay, so we were two days behind them, and we ate at Pizza Hut. So Joe and his family went up to take care of Joe's mom. She was getting moved in with one of Joe's sisters, and so they were helping to clean out some stuff. So a lot of people moving around this week, but I'm glad to be back. I know we still have some folks out traveling. Uh, Abe and Linda and their family are still out. They're down in Mexico. My mom and dad are out there um, with some friends. Uh, I know David Ware's out today with some family today. So a lot of folks, maybe some other folks that I don't know about that are traveling. But let's take our Bibles. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I have to confess to you as I begin to study this these next two verses, verses 12 and 13, I was reading that and I said, well, I told Shandy, I said, I don't know how to preach this. I've never preached this passage before. And it's dealing with leaders in the church and how we are to relate to those leaders. I said, this, I don't want this message to come off sounding selfish. That, all right, I'm the leader in the church. Here's how you're supposed to treat me. Esteem me and love me. Okay, well, let's go home, right? Then I thought, that's a little bit of a challenge. So I said, well, maybe, I, I had the spiritual response first. I said to Shandy, I said, well, maybe, maybe I should just go back and finish up where I was in John. Maybe this is just the Lord's time and I'll come back to this another time. But I said, no, we're preaching through 1 Thessalonians. We need to work on through. So I, I, I got out my books, which... I'm a, I'm a modern-day preacher. Most of my books are on my computer. I have to confess, I have a lot of books in my office, but I have over a 1,000 books on my computer. So I get out my computer, and I started reading and studying. I spent a lot of time just reading verses 12 and 13 over and over and over. That's really, I think, the best way to study any passage of Scripture is by studying the Scripture, right? So I read and read and read, and I thought about it and meditated on it and prayed about it. And then I thought, well, let me, let me make sure I've got everything straight here. So I read a, a couple commentaries just to make sure I wasn't way off in crazy land. And no, I was, I was thinking right. And the more I read this, the more I realized, while this is talking about relationships between leaders and followers in the church, this passage is not specifically addressing a pastor or specifically addressing even a deacon or any other specific leader in the church. So I would tell you this morning, if you are anybody that in any way has leadership over anybody else in the church in any way, this message is for you. And I'd also say to you this morning, if you're a follower of anyone else in the church in any way, this message is also for you. So I came away realizing this message is for all of us today. And so I hope this will help you, and I hope you'll follow along as we think through verses 12 and 13. Guys in the back, we're just going to read verses 12 and 13 here as we begin. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love, for their work's sake, notice this last phrase, and be at peace among yourselves. I love that last phrase, and be at peace among yourselves. 
as we continue to advance, to continue to take steps forward as a family, as a church body, I want us to think about how we relate to one another and how we value people. Verses 12 and 13 of 1 Thessalonians 5 speak a lot about how we value people and how we ought to relate one to another. The church, the Bible compares it to or speaks of it as a body. And it is a body, isn't it? It's a, it's a family. The church exists to glorify God and to bring the gospel to the lost and to edify or build up believers to be more like Jesus Christ. God has ordained in the church that there be those who are leading and those who are following. And no, I didn't come up with that list of things and then try to find that in the Bible, the lead one, follow one, all of that. That's in Scripture, and that's why it's on the wall. We don't put it on the wall and then find it in the Bible. It's in the Bible, and then we might put it on the wall. Does that make sense? We always find our foundation in the Word of God. But we see this idea in the Bible of leading and following and relating one to another. Every member of the body is important. If you're a leader, you're important. If you're a follower, you are important. Sometimes in organizations, we like to take worldly organizational ideas and impose those on the church. And that's the wrong thing to do. Sometimes in our world that we live in, we hold leaders in a certain regard and we look at followers as less important. That's why we often end up with issues where there's management and union that are fighting against each other, right? The union people view themselves as the workers, the ones that actually get it done. And they look at the management as the one that just gets in the way and makes it hard for them. Whereas the management sometimes looks at the union workers as Boy, those lazy people, if we could just get them to work hard, we could have a better thing going on. And sometimes we take that kind of mentality and we impose it on the church. And it creates a lot of problems in the church. But that's not how the Bible speaks about these relationships at all. There's not some big division between leaders and followers in the sense of these are the important ones and these are the less important ones has no issue in a matter of importance. The same thing happens in a family. Sometimes in some families, people get it wrong and they think, well, the man, he's the important one. He, he's out there. He's the strong one. The wife, she's important, but not as important. Other people say, well, the wife, the mom, she's the important one. The dad, he just exists to pay the bills. And that's wrong thinking too. Husbands and wives, there's not one that's more important than the other. They're both equally important in a family. While the Bible does speak of a a certain hierarchy of order, that's purely for order of how things should function. It's not a commentary on that one is more important than another. Moms are important. Dads are important. Husbands are important. Wives are important. In a church, leaders are important. Followers are important. But it's important that we understand how to relate to each other properly. And so that's what these two verses really speak about. And next week as we study further into this passage, we'll get into more instruction about how we're treating one another in the church as we get into verses 14 and 15. 
But this morning, as we think about this leaders and followers, I want you to think about this as we start. What makes someone important to you? Why is somebody important to you or not important to you? I think there are two reasons, and you might be able to give more, but two reasons that I thought of that people value other people. Number one, people value other people because of who they are. Someone's important to you just, just because of their position. Right? If, if some important leader in our country drives by, we might say, wow, so-and-so just drove by. It's important to us because of who they are, their position, their status. But I would tell you there's another reason that people are important to us. And that's because of what they do. Because of what they do. You know what I'm talking about. We've all had people in our family like that. People that we work with like that. You might have a boss and they're important to you because they're your boss. But other than them being your boss, you, you would not spend any time with them. But then there's other people, it doesn't matter whether they're your boss or your coworker, your family member, your friend, your neighbor, but because of what they do, they're very important to you. You love what they do. You love what they do for you. You love what you do for them. You love the relationship that you have together. Sometimes in a church, we can tend to look at people and say, well, we ought to value that person because of who they are, because of their position, because of their status, because of their finances because of their talent, because of their ability. But I would tell you here in 1 Thessalonians, it is dealing less with who someone is and more with what they do. What they do. So as we think about leaders and followers this morning, let's look, first of all, at who should lead. Who should lead in the church? Let's read these two verses again. We beseech you, brethren. So he's begging them to know them. He's going to give us three things. Them which labor among you. That's the first one. Secondly, and are over you in the Lord. And the third one, and admonish you. So who should lead? Well, I would tell you, he's speaking of People who have these three things evident in their life. People who labor, people who lead, and people who admonish. Now, let me explain for you a little more about each of those words because they're very important terms. Laboring. We know what it means to labor. Some of you ladies have labored and given birth. That's labor. Hard work. Some of you go to work every day and you labor. You work hard with your hands, with your mind, with your body. It's hard work. You sweat. It's work. Labor in the church is no different. It's work. It's hard work. In chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul commended the church at Thessalonica for their labor of love. You know, it's work to love somebody sometimes, isn't it? Why? Because love is not a feeling. Love, in a biblical sense, is action. It's doing something. It's serving somebody else. It's helping somebody else. It's picking somebody else up who's fallen down. It's, it's being there. You talk about going to church and then the idea of being the church. 
Today we've come to church. Yesterday, people were being the church to the Tanner family. Some of you are being the church to one another today. That's the way it's supposed to be. Right? There's the difference between who you are and what you do. He says those who would lead in the church are those who labor. 1 Corinthians 16, I'm sorry, verses 15 and 16 say this, I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia. So this is a household, this is a man named Stephanus. He's one of the first families that came to, the Christ, came to Christ in the city of Achaia. He says, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. We often think of addictions as bad things. Yet here it's used in a good sense. They've addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Can you think in your mind of somebody or several somebodies who have so filled themselves up with labor and work in the ministry to others that when you think of them, you think of their ministry, it's just like one and the same. It's who they are. They've addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And then he says, verse 16, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. There's our word, laboreth. So it's important if you are to be a leader in the church, you're somebody that is willing and is not just willing, but is laboring, working hard. See, what I want us to take away, one of the things from this message this morning, is that we not think that a position in a church is something to be desired just so I can sit up on my pedestal and say, look at me. Look at the name tag I'm wearing. Look at what I am. Look at what they elected me to do. I have a position. No, you've been given an opportunity to serve, to labor, to work. Some people would desire a position of leadership because it's seen as a position where I can do less and let other people do for me. And, but in the Scripture, the Bible teaches that in a church, a position of leadership is a position of labor. It's hard work. And if you're not willing to labor to work for somebody else, you're not ready to lead in a church. To labor. Labor. It's a simple idea, and yet, you know how it is. All of us, I think at one point or another in our life, said, ugh. I don't really feel like working. I want it easy. Well, then don't lead. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. I tell you, the longer I have the privilege to preach, the more I realize what a labor it is. It's work. I'm thankful over the past few weeks as I've had different things going on. We've had folks who have filled in for me last Sunday, Pastor Clayton. We have folks that filled in for me on Wednesday nights. Brother Joe did it this past week. Alan did it. Brother Winston's done it. My dad did it. Different people have filled in, done things. It's work. I'm going to tell a story on Joe, but 
I don't think he'll mind. I called him on Monday and I said, hey, someone in our church has given me four tickets to the Rockets game. I said, do you want to go? I couldn't go. I'm in Colorado. Why are you giving me Rockets tickets when I'm in Colorado? You know, Wait till I'm home. I called him and said, you want to go? He said, brother, that'd be great, but he said, I'm studying. I'm getting ready for Wednesday night. I'm not telling you that to lift him up. I'm telling you that so you understand. It's labor. It's work. He didn't just show up on Wednesday night and say, well, let's see. What am I supposed to say tonight? It's labor. It's work. But there's not just the labor of study. There's the labor of the preparation that goes into keeping a nursery. There's the labor and the preparation that goes into leading a junior church or an Awana ministry or the labor that just goes into sweeping the floors and washing the windows and cleaning up. There's labor that goes into ministering to sick people and hurting people and hungry people. It's labor. It's work. There's labor that goes into preparing yourself so that you can open God's Word and disciple somebody else to lead them through a Bible study. It's labor. There's labor to getting up and and praying and keeping a prayer list and working through that list and caring for people and and loving people and wanting to know what's going on. It's, It's labor. There's labor in one sense to picking up the phone and calling people and checking on them and and getting up at early hours to go meet somebody's need and staying up late and going someplace to help somebody when they need it. It's labor. There's labor to putting your own schedule aside for a little bit to go help somebody else, to go grocery shopping for somebody else, to go watch somebody else's kids, to come to church and instead of just sitting and and, and listening and enjoying it that way, going and changing diapers or sweeping floors, it's labor. But labor is not a bad thing. For a family to function well, for a body to function well, it requires labor. Hard work. But here's the beautiful thing. As you labor and I labor and we labor together, haven't you ever seen in the body of Christ one plus one is greater than two? It really works that way. So we often think, well, one person and one person, that equals two. Not in the body of Christ. Because you're forgetting about a very important third person. The Holy Spirit. Forget about God. Ecclesiastes says a threefold cord is not easily broken. So you work and I work, and then the real work gets done when the Holy Spirit works, and God's work gets done. And it's a beautiful thing of what happens. Because you know what? I can labor and study and preach, you can labor and clean and teach. We can all labor together, and nothing can get done. But when God comes in and begins to work in somebody's heart and He takes your faithfulness and my faithfulness and our collective faithfulness of working together, serving God together and God works in somebody's heart and He touches them and He points out their sin and He convicts them, works from the inside out. Somebody comes to Christ. A family is restored. People are encouraged. Somebody says, I'm going to go help somebody. It's exciting what gets done the labor of God's people. But he says here in this verse, We beseech you, brethren, 
know them which labor among you. Laboring. Who should lead in the church? I'll tell you, first of all, it's those that are laboring. Secondly, he says, and are over you in the Lord. This is where sometimes when we read this passage of Scripture, we say, well, he's only speaking to pastors. But I would tell you that's a short-sighted view of what the Bible teaches about being over someone in the Lord. To be over someone in the Lord is being someone who's leading somebody else in their relationship with the Lord. This is the idea of one who stands before you. That's someone who's both a leader and a caregiver. Someone who's there to lead and to protect. Those who would lead, Jesus says, must do so by serving. This word has the idea of protecting someone, caring for them. This is not depicting so much an office or a status, but rather a task. To be a leader in a biblical sense is not just being appointed to something, but rather something you work at to protect and care for others. A leader is one who, first of all, I would say leads people to Christ. I, I didn't just make that up. That's what the Bible teaches in this book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. Paul says, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord. I would tell you, Paul didn't just point people to Jesus, but he led them to Jesus by his example of attitude and action. You go into chapter 2, he says, we were among you like a mother with her children. Like a father admonishing his children. This is the idea of leading. Okay? Sometimes we get the idea of a leader is just somebody that we elected or we put up or just by force of personality or power, they just took control and so you either follow or get out. Okay, That's not what this is speaking of. This is just somebody who's over someone else in the Lord. I would tell you this is any person who has any influence over any other person in the church in their relationship with God. They are leading. Sometimes we lead on purpose. Sometimes we lead by default. I would tell you, whatever situation you're in, we ought to be purposeful in what we're doing. We've got to lead on purpose. So, an older lady has the opportunity to lead a younger lady. Older men, you have opportunity to lead the younger men. Fathers, you have opportunities to lead your sons and daughters. Mothers, you have opportunities to lead your sons and daughters. Ladies are helping and leading our children. Some of the men are helping leading our children. Some of the men are helping to lead other men. Ladies are helping to lead other ladies. We, we use the word discipleship a lot, or doing a Bible study. That's what this idea is. Sure, it also would include a pastor in the church. I, I'm not taking that out, but it, it's not just that. Do you understand? So, I would tell you there ought to be people in the church that are helping to encourage me spiritually. 
So, well, we're not in charge. It's not about who's in charge. It's about encouraging somebody and leading somebody along in their relationship with God. Sure, God's created an order in the church and all those things. That's not what this passage is speaking about. This passage is speaking about the relationships one with another. How he says, notice those or know those who are over you in the Lord. I would tell you, you have an opportunity to be over somebody in the Lord when you lead them to Christ. Because if we're fulfilling what the Great Commission says, it says that we're to go and that we're to baptize and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So if you lead somebody to Christ, you have a responsibility then to teach them. Not just some things. He says all things. That's a big responsibility. But it's an exciting thing, isn't it? As we disciple other people, we ought to be reproducing ourselves spiritually in them. I had a conversation with the pastor at my in-law's church this past Wednesday. We sat down and he was asking questions about our church and I was asking questions about his church. And he said, who is qualified, do you think, to lead somebody else in their relationship with God? I said, anybody that has a right relationship with God. You don't have to have a college degree to do this. You don't have to have somehow known everything for a long time. One of the men in our church a couple weeks ago said, Pastor, I want to get in on this, but I'm just not sure I'm ready. I said, well, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? He said, yeah. You know you're baptized and you're trying to follow God with your life? Yes. I just don't know everything you know, Pastor. I said, that's fine. But you could bring somebody to where you are. If you have a relationship with Christ, you ought to be able to bring somebody to the point you're at. You're leading. And at the same time, then, you can be following someone else who's a little bit further ahead of you. And they're leading you, and you're following them. And then you're able to bring that other person along. And together, we're leading one another. We're over one another in the Lord. We're following one another. Think about how exciting a church would be where that was taking place with all the people in the church. I mean... You have a need, who do you call? Well, the person that, that's over you in the Lord. Because you have a close relationship with them. You're spending time with them. You're talking to them. You're studying God's Word with them. You're praying with them. So you have a need, you've got somebody to call, right? Like that. I feel for people, and I, you know, we work hard as a church to not let anybody fall through the cracks, right? That we forget about somebody or miss somebody. This is how a body works together. You know, I don't ever worry about that my toes are going to get left behind because they're attached firmly to my foot. And wherever my foot goes, my toes go, generally, unless I whack it on the door, right? <laughs> and sometimes when your toe goes the wrong way, it's painful, isn't it? But in a church, sometimes we walk around and we, we sometimes resist those connections. And then we wonder why we end off up in another place than everybody else. It's about being tightly connected together. And then others that come along, bringing them into that connection as well, right? If this is speaking to those who are over you in the Lord, I would say then you should ask yourself, who is over me in the Lord? Who am I following in the Lord? Hopefully it's somebody who leads somebody to Christ. But I think also we can see that being over somebody in the Lord is also someone who leads by example. 
1 Timothy 4.12, Paul writing to Timothy said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. In word, that's what you say. In conversation, that's what you do. In charity, that's how you love. In spirit, that's your attitude. In faith, hopefully you know what faith is. And in purity. But think about this. Many times when we see what are supposedly held up as leaders, even in a church, are that, is that the example they set? What they say? The Bible says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. When I was in college, one of the professors had us in class. And the first day of class, he opened to 1 Timothy 4.12 and he read that verse and he said, All right, I've got a challenge for all of you men that think you want to be pastors someday. He says, Paul gave this challenge to Timothy. Let no man despise thy youth. Why do people often look down on young people? Well, it's because they don't know how to control their words, their tongue's out of control, their lifestyle's a mess, everything they're doing is wrong, and they have to learn what is right and how to do right. He says, I want you to be an example of the believers in what you say. So he said, here's your assignment. You have to keep track of, and, and tomorrow when you come back to class, give a report for how long you kept your words where they needed to be. And you only said things that were right. And you only said things that were true. And he only said things that were kind and things that were helpful. So we all left class that day and went about our business. And we came back to class the next day. Guys had to give their report. One guy said, you know, I didn't even make it out of the classroom. He said, as I was walking out of the classroom, this other guy bumped into me and I said, get out of the way. And he realized... I wasn't an example of believers with my words. Another guy said, well, I made it back to my dorm and my roommate, oh, that roommate, he'd left all of his stinky clothes on the floor. And I yelled at him and said, what's wrong with you? Wash your clothes. He said, I realized I wasn't an example of believers with my word. And so guy after guy got up and gave his report and gave his report and we came away realizing this is a big challenge. It's hard to do. Leading by example is difficult, isn't it? I would encourage you, don't lead by, from your position. If God gives you a position of leadership, you have some kind of title, well, I teach, or I work here in this ministry, I do this, or I do that, or I'm over this in the church, that's not what gives you authority. You lead by example. Paul told Timothy, lead by example. Paul also wrote to Titus, another young man in the ministry, and he said in Titus 2, verse 7 and 8, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Here it is, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Wouldn't that be wonderful if somebody who is outside of our church couldn't say anything evil about anybody in our church? Wow. 
That's what he said to Titus. Your words, your actions, the things that you do ought to be leading others by example to Christ. Folks, church is not just a Sunday thing that we put on our polka dot green tie because it's St. Patrick's Day or something else and come and we show up and we do our thing and we go home and now we live our week. I mean, if, if you weren't reminded of this week, uh, of that this week, I know I was as I thought about Brother Josh losing his brother. Got a call last week with Gail was back in the hospital and various things going on. I said, wow, does this even matter? Are, is what we're doing here, is this important? Or is this just something we do because it's what we've always done? I said, no, God's word is true. God's word has the answers. God's word has the hope. Because God is alive. And it does matter. It is important. We live in a world that doesn't value what we're doing this morning in a general sense. You say, well, those people, they can go to church, they can do their thing, whatever. Folks, this matters. It matters how we relate to one another. If we don't understand what we are supposed to be doing, how can we ever reach a lost world? If we're going to lead in the church, we need to be laboring, leading, and then thirdly, admonishing. Admonishing. This is to warn to exert corrective influence. We are to do this without provoking or embittering. Sometimes we think, well, that's my gift. I have the gift of admonishment. I just tell it like it is, right? Okay. Control yourself a little bit there. And realize there is an admonishment that ought to happen. Sometimes the Bible translates the same word to warn. Let me read you one of those passages from Acts chapter 20. This will help you understand your attitude when you're admonishing somebody else, trying to correct them. Paul says in Acts 20 verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So do you hear what he's talking about? That there's problems in the church, that there's wicked wolves from outside that try to come in and tear apart the sheep. He said there will be some from inside who at least look like sheep and they'll start speaking things but they won't be true things and they'll try to lead people astray. He says in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember. Paul says remember. By the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. How do we admonish? He says, night and day with tears. And he said, I did this for three years. Folks, if, if you want to be able to help correct somebody, lead somebody in that way of correcting them, bringing them back to where they ought to be spiritually, you got to be willing to do it night and day with tears for a long time. Parents, we struggle with this, don't we? we sometimes we want to live our life, do our thing, and not be bothered, and then finally 
Little Johnny or little Susie crosses that line one time too many and we just want to come out with the big stick and straighten them out. It's not what it looks like. Admonishing, correcting somebody is a constant process. Night and day. And it's, it's one that requires great emotional investment with tears. And it takes a really long time. Your children just might be frustrated because you're frustrating them because instead of carefully, little by little along the way, guiding them back to where they ought to be, you let them do whatever they want to do and then you bring the big stick and try to bring them back. That's not the example of how we ought to live. Think about this. Let's see, Micah, come help me real quick. This will be a helpful illustration, I think. Come here, buddy. If, if Micah and I are trying to walk from this side of the room to that side of the room... Now, Micah's nine years old. He'll be 10 in just a week and a half, so two weeks. And so this is going to be easy for him. But let's pretend he's a little guy, right? And, and he would run away very easily. So if I said, Micah, we're going to walk from here to there, and I just let him go, but he's a little guy, he, he might choose to run off that way and get over there. And the further he gets away, it's, it's harder for me to get him back. But if I'm doing this in the sense of admonishing him, right, this is a constant Faithful correction. So I have my arm around him. I'm just keeping him right here. We get from here to there pretty easily, don't we? He might pull away a little bit, but I can pull him right back and get him. And that's not too painful on him, is it? If I have to chase him to the other side of the room and grab him and bring him back, now it gets a little bit painful, doesn't it? He might get frustrated. I might get frustrated. We get mad at each other. See, this is the idea of what should happen in a church, okay? You have relationships with one another. There's this close leading, following relationship going on. So there's constant admonishment, correction, just helping him to keep in the straight line of where he ought to go. Right? And so if he starts to veer off, I can just pull him right back. That requires a significant investment of those that are leading, though, doesn't it? And I'll tell you right now, as the pastor, I can't be the only one doing this. If I'm going to do this biblically as I should, our church would have to be about eight people big. Because that's all I can do physically to really keep them close. I mean, how many people can you hold close at one time, right? Not that many. But here's how a church grows numerically while it continues to grow spiritually. I got some guys around me that I'm helping to admonish and helping to correct and helping to lead. Sure, I'm preaching in a public sense, but I'm talking about in a personal sense, okay? And we've got, I got a few guys around me and each of them... Have a, have a few people around them. And some of you ladies have some people around you. And, and, and we all have our own little group of people around us that we're helping to admonish and encourage. And some of you may say, I, I don't have time for a big group of people. I believe everybody is a, as a Christian has time for at least one. So, so don't try to think about this. Oh, Pat, i got to teach a class. At, no. Just think, who's my one? Who's my one person that I can encourage spiritually and admonish and i would tell you for some of you your one person isn't here this morning maybe they've never even been to this church they need the gospel but you have a relationship with them to where you could share the gospel with them and then you could begin to lead them in the right path for some of you your one is already here but maybe there's another one out there you could bring along with you or maybe you're leading one and you need to help them to go reach their one right this is how this works and together, we all end up in the same place following God, where God wants us to be.
but it's a close relationship. Thank you, Micah, for helping us illustrate that so we can get a little picture of what that looks like. He says, admonish those who admonish you. So I would ask you, who, who are you following that has a relationship with you to where they can admonish you spiritually? Because I'll tell you, it's one thing for me to be able to stand up here on a platform on Sunday morning and preach, and I ought to do that. But it's another thing entirely for someone else to be able to put their arm around you and say, now listen, I, I've noticed this in your life. I'm praying for you about this, but, but, but we need to get this right. This isn't quite where the Bible is. That requires letting someone else into your life, and I know that's a hard thing for some of us to do. So I'm a private person. It's okay. But each of us needs to allow somebody else into our life to the point that they can help us be where God wants us to be spiritually. I'm not asking you to get up in front of the whole church and bare your soul and tell all, everything. That's not what I'm talking about. But find somebody. You can say, I don't know who that is. Start praying about it. Remember, we've got the Holy Spirit to help us in this process. Start praying. Come talk to me. I'll pray with you about it. I'll tell you right now, I don't have a big list in my office. Oh, yeah, let put those people. That's not how it works. We'll pray about it together. And as the Lord leads and directs, I believe he'll make it very apparent how that should happen. And this, again, is not so a couple people can get over here and do their thing and those people can do their thing. No, it's so everybody can get encouraged together and that nobody gets left out and that everybody gets helped to grow where they need to grow so that everybody has somebody that they're leading. Everybody has somebody that they're following, that we are laboring one for another. That's work, isn't it? To set up time to meet, to get together, to pray together, to encourage one another, to meet one another's needs. That's a lot of labor. That's leading, isn't it? Where I'm over someone else in the Lord and I'm thinking how I'm going to lead them by example and it keeps me accountable to do what's right and it helps to keep them accountable. And that's admonishing, isn't it? Correcting. But it's a gentle correction instead of having to grab them and yank them back. And I believe that creates a very healthy church not to get ahead of ourselves but i'll just tease you a little bit with it what's the last phrase that i read it says and be at peace among yourselves i think that'd bring great peace in the church don't you as people loved each other as they labored for one another as they admonish one another as they're over one another in the lord it brings peace Everybody's connected, everybody's encouraged, everybody's helped. No sheep left behind. So who is to lead in the church? Well, these three things, we've already talked about them a lot. Labor, leading, and admonishing. These are not just for the pastor. This is for all of us. We all ought to be a part of this. And asking God, God, how can I minister to somebody else in this way? And he's not saying, do one without the other. He's speaking of all three of these together. That's the sense of this. This is not a position we're appointed to, but rather something we work to do. You see, the respect of a church should not be based on the position that you have, but rather on the ministry that you perform. The respect of a church not based on some position that you have obtained and that you hold for yourself, but rather the ministry that you perform, that you do on behalf of others. So, 
Second point, and these last two are very quick points. The first point was the long point this morning. Who should lead? Those who labor. Those who lead. Those who admonish. So how should those who follow act towards those who lead? Well, he gives us two things here. Verse 12, beseech you, brethren. Here's the first one, to know them. And then in verse 13, at the end of verse 13, I'm sorry, Yes, beginning of verse 13, he says, And to esteem them very highly for their work's sake. So, first of all, they should be known. This is the idea of to be respected, to be taken note of, to be recognized. There is a great responsibility to those who are leading in the Lord. And we should respect those who are leading in the Lord. It's important to not follow those who are not leading in the Lord. Right? Sometimes people, well, I just follow them because of their great personality. No, follow somebody because they are leading you towards Christ. To be over someone in the Lord, as we have already seen, is one who leads someone else to be like Christ. We have to be growing in Christ if we're going to lead others to be like Christ. We're not here to worship men and women. We're here to worship God. Okay. If your work is not for the Lord, don't expect to be recognized for the selfish things that you're doing. At least not in a positive way. But I am thankful to be able to recognize and respect those in our church who serve God out of a pure heart and a desire to serve others. And we do that not to bring glory to them, but to point out how regular, normal people, through the power of God in their life, now become people who serve other people and help them. Amen. That's why we do it. So if we ever bring somebody up and we say thank you to them, realize it's not about bringing glory to them. It's about saying, look, even they can serve God. Amen. And I want it to be the attitude, boy, if he could do it, maybe I could do it too. Because we serve a great God who works in people to change people. When, when I was a boy, my dad taught me to be friends with and spend time with the people that I wanted to be like when I grew up. I remember when I was three years old. That's not as far back for me as it is for some of you, I understand. But I don't remember much from when I was three, but I do remember this. We were in church, and they started a children's choir. And I was going to be put in the children's choir. I didn't want to go to the children's choir. I don't think very many three-year-olds want to go to the children's choir. Maybe some do. But I didn't want to go. But Dad said, when you go to the children's choir, you have to sit by the sixth grade girls. Now, if there was something I wanted less than being in the children's choir, it was sitting by the sixth grade girls. It was probably Rose. I don't know. She probably wasn't even sixth grade. She's not that much older than me. But she would have probably been in the same choir. Isn't it funny how life moves on, right? Rose and I grew up at the same church, and she was just a little bit older than me, just barely. And uh, I used to think of her as really old. But then I realized she wasn't really that old. It's just because when you're a kid and someone's like two years older than you or four years older than you, you just assume they're old. I was with somebody the other day, and they're both in their 70s. And the attitude is, oh, they're really old. I'm like, they're 79, you're 75. You're, you're both old, right? 
They're like, no, they're way older than me. I said, okay. That's just how life works, isn't it? Like, when I was in high school, my teachers in high school, you just assume they're old, right? And then you get out of high school and you realize, oh, they were like five years older than me and now we're kind of peers. But in your mind, they're always kind of old, even though they're really not. But that's a little beside the point. My dad said, hang out with the people you want to be like when you get big. And so he made me sit by the sixth grade girls. And that's how I first started learning how to sing, sitting by those big girls. Why did he want me to sit by them? Not because he wanted me to be a, a girl. No, because he wanted me to learn how to sing out. And at that point in time, those older fifth and sixth grade girls were the ones who really sang out in the children's choir. He didn't want me to hang out with the other little ones that were goofing off. He wanted me to be with the ones that were going to sing so that I could learn how to sing. And you know, somebody said this once, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Teenagers, that's important, but parents, adults, that's important too. You, you show me who you hang out with, I'll show you what you're going to be like in five years, 10 years, 20 years. It, it's just how it normally happens. That's why it's so important we choose the people that we're around. That's why a church is so important. Because I realize we live in a fallen world and there's people around us that aren't the greatest all the time, but we can put ourselves in a church where we have good friends. Who should we take note of in our church? Who should you take note of and respect in our church? Who should you be modeling your life after as they follow Christ? I'll mention a few names here, but these aren't people that I say, well, these are perfect people. There's no perfect people here. But these are people that I believe are striving to follow God. You see, I've tried to follow my dad's advice, and I'm still trying to follow it today. That's why Pastor Clayton was here last Sunday. He's one of those people I want to be like when I grow up. And I feel like if he's helped me, that maybe he'll be able to help you. And along the way, we'll have other people along that have helped me, and I think they can help you. We had Brother Jan Milton here for our missions conference. He's helped me. Each of these people is very different in their personality. They're, they're different in their perspective on things. But these are people that love God. These are people that walk with God. And because of that, they help me, and I think they'll help you. In a couple weeks for our family conference, we'll have another friend of mine come. Pastor Kurt Skelly. Some of you don't know him, some of you do. He's helped me a lot. He's not a perfect person. We could probably find things we don't like about every single... You can find things you don't like about me. But he's a man that loves God and is trying to walk with God, and I think he'll help you too, because he's helped me. That's how this works. I, I have people I'm following too, right? But I'm not trying to be like him. I'm trying to be like Christ. But he helps me to follow Christ because I can ask him questions because he's lived life that I haven't lived yet. He's done things that I haven't done yet. I talked to uh, my pastor that I, where I studied to go to seminary. I talked to him yesterday. We're friends now, but I still, hello, pastor. Why? Because he's helped me. He's been here before and he'll be here again too. Later this summer, we've got another friend of mine, Tom Farrell coming. He preaches with a lot more energy than I do, let me just tell you. Some of you are like, he's loud. Yeah, because he's excited about what God's done in his life. But he's helped me, and I think he'll help you. This fall, another friend of mine, Brian Sams, will be here. He's, he's just a few years older than me, but he's helped me. I think he'll help you. He's somebody else I want to follow after. Next January, 
Ron White will be back. Some of you don't know him because there was only a few people here when he was here the last time. He was a missionary in Japan for 50 years. And I'm bringing a friend of his, Don Sis, to come at the same time. Both these guys are in their 80s. And they were missionary partners together in Japan over 50 years ago. And you know, since they were over there all that time since then, the Lord has done such a work over there from the first couple churches that they started together. Did you know today, 2019, there's 98 churches that started out of that? And they started a little Bible Institute training men and women for ministry. And through that, they have sent Japanese missionaries to 22 other foreign countries that are completely financially supported by those little independent Japanese churches. And they're serving the Lord all over the world. See, I look at that and I say, maybe, just maybe, God could do that at Arise Baptist Church. What could happen in 50 years here? I said to Brother White one time, I said, so how many people, are those really big churches? He said, no, the average church is 50 to 75 people. Well, how did those little churches do all that? Those little churches have done more than some of the churches in this city with thousands and thousands of people in it. How is that possible? Maybe because they labored together and because they were over one another in the Lord and they admonished one another and stayed faithful. See, we often forget about the power of the Holy Spirit in the work of all this. We think we've got to see our way clear to make this, and if we don't have this many people and this much money and all these things, this isn't going to happen. Quit worrying about that. God's in control of all those things. And He has it all. He's got all the money. He's got all the power. He's got all the ability. I was talking this week with a couple men in our church. It's so fun to see God beginning to work. A couple of different people got together and said, Pastor, this is exciting what God's done in our church, but we'd like to see this happen in more churches. I just met with a young couple a few weeks ago who said, we think that maybe the Lord would have us start a church. And if it happens like we think, it'd be just 15, 20 minutes from here. Wouldn't that be exciting to help somebody else do what God's doing here? And some guys got together and said, maybe we could help them raise some money and put some things together so that... We could help them get launched. And then some, I, a couple weeks ago, I was up in Ohio and I talked with some of the men up there at that church. And they said, yeah, we've got some other guys interested in this. And so now they're trying to put some things together to make this happen. You know, I don't know what the Lord's going to do. But if we're faithful, God can do great things. And he does it through just regular old people like you and me. So how do we treat these people? Well, he says to know them, to respect them to look out for them so that we could follow them. I'm thankful for people in our church that are doing these things, for, for men who have filled in to, for me while I was gone, for Alan who's teaching our teens, for Rose and Stephanie DeBlanc teaching our little ones on Wednesday night, and Billy and Lisa working with the little ones, and Sylvia teaching our little ones on Sunday night, and my mom teaching our older children on Wednesday night, and Josh and Anna working in junior church and James and Josh and Brother Joe and my dad teaching adults on Sunday nights. And I know I'm missing people here on my list, but we've got so many people in our church doing this. And then when you get down, that's just people teaching bigger classes. Then when you get down to the one-on-one level, we've got all kinds of people involved in that. And I hope someday we could step back and say, we've got every single adult that wants to be a part of that is a part of that in our church. 
that we're all leading and following one another and over one another in the Lord. That gives us people that we can respect, people we can help. I'm thankful. We, we've got ladies meeting up here that, that do Bible study during the week, some of them early in the morning. We have people meeting up here sometimes on Friday nights and on Saturday mornings and people meeting at various times and places. That's what it's about. Why? Not just to meet, not just to get together, not even just, oh, we did Bible study, even though that's all important but so that we're developing the kind of relationships that the Bible says we ought to have in the church. And if you'd like to be a part of those things, we want you to be part of those things because we want to help you grow. We want to grow together. So they ought to be respected, to be known. Secondly, he says to esteem them, verse 13, very highly in love for their works' sake. To esteem them goes along with the idea of knowing them. But it's the idea, he says, of esteeming them in love. This is the highest respect in love. So I'm not looking at them saying, well, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, boy, they just a very talented preacher, teacher, leader, or speaker, whatever. No, I just love that person. We have a personal relationship. I mean, so many times... In organizations, in churches, we sort of have people we respect and look up, up to just because of a position or because of how long they've been there. Folks, without love, though, we've really missed the point. I love you people. I love this church. I missed you last week when I was gone. I enjoyed being where I was. It was exciting to see another church that God's doing good things in. That's always encouraging. But I just missed being home. Because you're the people that I love. And I hope that, and I know that we are, growing to love one another as we should. I know that takes time. It takes effort. And I'm so thankful. I've been thinking through the process of our church as God has grown it. And we've added more people. But I feel like over the last several months, while we've continued to see a few new folks here and there, I, I sense and I see there's great love and, and relationships developing one another. You know what I think that's doing? I think that's just preparing us to be able to reach even more people. But if we don't have relationships with one another, strong and helping one another to grow in the Lord, if you added 100 new people to this mix, it could blow this thing up and we'd just be in a mess. Because we've got to be developing these spiritual relationships one with another to grow so that we can then lead somebody else. Because if God puts a bunch of new people here, which He can and I believe He will, as we walk along, we're going to end up with someone way over there. Oh, we forgot about them. Oh, no. Oh, what happened to them? But right now, that's not happening. People are getting cared for. Their needs are being met. They're being encouraged. They're being helped. Sure, we're not perfect. I, I, we're, we're doing... We're working on it all the time. I think we're getting better and better at it all the time. But that's the way it's supposed to be. That, that's how we grow. It's not just by adding people. And it's not just by growing spiritually. It's both. We grow wider as we grow deeper. So we are to esteem them highly in love. Notice he says, for their works sake. It's for what they do not just for who they are. So what's the end result of this? Number three, the end result of this kind of behavior in the church? It's peace. And be at peace. Among 
yourselves. The Bible speaks so much in a church of how the unity and the peace that happens in a church is something that is like a magnet that draws other people to Christ because people are not at peace. We live in a world that is not at peace. Oh. We spent time with some family this week, and Shannon and I came back yesterday, last two days, burdened and hurting over some situations that are going on. And each of you know what I'm talking about in your own lives. There's some things you just hurt inside, makes you sick. When you think about the struggle and the pain and the fighting and the disagreements and people upset with one another and people doing awful things to one another to get back at each other. It's awful. It just is. But folks, may that never be said of this church. That we could be at peace one with another. I know you're hurting. I'm hurting about some things. But God's good. And I know not everybody will submit to His will and do what's right. But I want everybody to know what they could have if they would just receive Jesus Christ. And I want people to know the peace that they could have if they would trust in the Lord and follow Him. I realize there are some people that just, just won't ever change. But let that be between them and God. Don't ever let something that you say or you do be the thing that keeps them from coming to Christ. Be at peace among yourselves. But you've heard the stories and maybe some of you have told the stories because they've happened to you. Well, I'm not in that church anymore because the way those people... Nobody cared about me. Nobody loved me. Nobody helped me. Those people said those things about me. Those people did those things about me. How sad when the church acts as bad as or worse than the world. Leading and following, developing healthy spiritual relationships one with another. I tell you, as I studied these two verses, I told you what it was like when I started looking at them earlier last week and then this week as I studied more, I at first was afraid of them. That's one of the good things about preaching through books of the Bible. It forces you to dig in on things that you might otherwise, oh, I'll just I'll preach something that's a little easier for me. This helps you walk through stuff. I needed this study. I needed to think about these things. And I, I think some of you needed that too. And I hope that you would leave this morning saying, first of all, what's my responsibility to labor, lead, and admonish? Who can I be doing that with? And if I'm already doing that with somebody, how can I invest in that even more? This year, I, some things in my own personal walk with the Lord, we, we've been working on, Shandy and I have done this together. We have, we have prayer journals, and we've written in your names. I, I spend, I told my mother-in-law the other morning, I said, I feel like I need two hours every morning now just to pray through all the things on my list. There's just so much to pray about. So I've had to just divide it up and do a piece each day because there's only so many hours in the day. But I just more and more want time with the Lord because there's so many things that only the Lord can handle. We need that kind of thing for each other. And you say, well, I, could, I don't have that time. You don't, 
You may not have to pray for everybody in the church. You don't have time to do it, but you could find one person that you really invest in in prayer or two or five. Some of you have more time. Take the time in prayer. Maybe you say, well, I don't have time to begin teaching a class. I'm not asking you to do that. But is there somebody that you can help to encourage and bring them along to where you are spiritually? It can happen on a phone call. It can happen at coffee. It can happen over at your house, around the dining room table. It can happen after church on a Sunday morning or happen on a Wednesday night. It, it can happen all different times. We make time for what's important to us. Are you doing this with your children? Those of you who have parents and grandparents. Are you admonishing them? Are you laboring? It's work. If you don't have children, pray for those who do. And help them bear the burdens that they're bearing. I hope that as we look down the road, I mean, we have so many wonderful children in our church. and We've signed up even a few more for camp in the last couple of weeks. I mean, we're probably going to have 25 or more to take to camp this summer. It's exciting. But I don't want to lose any of those kids. You know, in the statistics today, they say as many as 7 or 8 out of 10 children do not follow in the faith of their parents. I would ask you, which of our children is worth losing? There's none of them. Not a single one. They're all important. They all matter to God, and they all matter to you as parents, and they all matter to us as a church. And if we're going to invest in this kind, it takes a lot of work. And yeah, well, so-and-so might reject it. They might. But let's do our part. Yes, God's given us a free will. That's hard for us to wrestle with sometimes. Why God, God, doesn't God just force them to do right? Because He loves you too much to force you to do it. But He's going to be with you as you will follow Him. Well, if God, God could just make everybody perfect. Well, then we'd just be robots. He doesn't want a relationship with a robot. He wants a relationship with a person who chose to follow him. And that's hard for us as human beings because emotionally we struggle when somebody's not doing what we want them to do or they're doing things to harm themselves or to harm other people around them. That hurts. I know. I just think that God's given us the answers in His Word to help us to be faithful to trust Him. And so that when we face death like we've faced this week, we could say, even in all of this, God's still good. And when we face someone hurting us and saying mean things to us or doing things that are very hurtful to us, we say, God's still good. I'm still walk with Him. And I'm going to ask somebody else in the church to pray with me and encourage me to help me through this valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This life is not always easy. 
But God's given us what we need to be able to walk with Him step by step, day by day. God has given us the instruction as a church of how we are to function together as a body so we can be more like Christ and bring others along with us as we follow Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Father, help us as we consider Your Word and this truth. Lord, there's so much here for us. We need You. Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know You as their Savior, that's never begun their relationship with the Lord in a personal way, Maybe they've known of you for a long time, but never trusted in you. I pray that today they would. Lord, for those here today who are wrestling with the challenges and struggles and pain of this life, maybe it's a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody that's in their neighborhood, whatever it is. Help them, Lord, to find their strength and comfort in you. Help them to find somebody else that can help them in their relationship and walk with you. Help us as a church to be reaching out and looking out ways that we can better encourage and admonish and lead and love and labor on behalf of others. Help us to commit ourselves to this kind of intentional relationship. Lord, I know it won't be easy, but good things are generally never easy. But I believe this kind of effort and labor is worth it. And that someday as we, maybe five years, ten years, maybe some could live another 50 years, would look back someday and say, I'm so thankful that I began to follow God in this way and began to follow others and lead others and labor for others like I should. And I have a great legacy because of what God has allowed me to do in serving others. And someday, Lord... Each of us, whether you give us another week, another year, another 10 or 20 years, or even 70 years to live, Lord, we could stand before you, ready to receive the rewards for the faithful life that we've lived, not looking back at a life of regret, but rather looking back at a life filled with service to you. Lord, we know that as we look out and think about our lives and some have lived a lot of life and some have a lot of life left to live. Help each of us to commit from this day forward to live faithfully for you. Help us to follow you as we should. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed as the piano plays and as God's worked in your heart this morning. Maybe you need to come here and pray. If you'd like to share with me how I can pray for you better. I'm here. God's spoken in your heart to lead you to follow Him in obedience in some way. You come as the piano plays.